Well, welcome. Is the uh, whole room shaking or is it just me? Oh, thanks, Ali. I have a profound desire for the band to keep playing and us to keep singing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us here today. We thank you for your profound love uh, that bonds us all together in unity. We thank you for your word and we just ask that you speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray, Lord, that uh, you deliver us into the life that you have for us, the full and complete and abundant life. And uh, Lord, we just um, we know this is possible by your spirit. And so we just ask that your spirit um, speaks to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, um, recently Karen and I became grandparents. And we are completely overjoyed and look forward to every moment that we have with our new granddaughter. And indeed, we look forward to all the time together with our extended family that we could continue to celebrate her arrival together. Now, every parent and grandparent is accused of being biased about their children, but I will think you'll agree that this is as close to perfect as it gets. This. <laughs> this. When I saw that photo of our gorgeous Adeline, I almost stopped breathing. I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> oh boy. You prepare. Um, never seen anything so perfect. But despite the fact that in this world we can have joy and we can have laughter and we can have fun together, the truth is that we and Adeline are born into a terrible world, a world in which everything is hard, everything is tainted and corrupted, this kind of a world. Now, this picture is not a political statement. It's a picture of Gaza, and I chose to include it rather than a picture from the Second World War because I wanted to communicate clearly to all of us that this is our, our current reality. This is our world in which we live. And I think you can agree that no matter what you think about Gaza or what your opinion is, it represents an untold amount of long-term grief and suffering. We see fear upon fear, scar upon scar. We see death and the stench of it everywhere. Now, I know that there are some people here who have a direct experience of the horrors of war. And I praise God that for most of us, we have not. But I think that when we see such images, we can begin to feel the extent of the heartbreak that those who live there must feel. And how do we do that? How do we feel what they might be feeling? Well, we do it by referring to the losses and traumas in our own life, the losses and traumas that we have directly experienced. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, and he was not wrong. If we take a survey of any group of 30 people, such as us, we would find traumas in so many different ways. We would find traumas caused by accidents, poverty, 
deaths of children, divorce, arguments in families, emotional, sexual and physical abuses, bullying at work, rejection at home, hatred of siblings, untold illnesses, job losses, homelessness, suicides, rape, persistent pain, chronic fatigue, an abundance of fears and anxieties and paralysing heartbreaks. Trauma is the inevitable result of sin, both personal and corporate. In Romans 1, 28 to 32, we see a list of evil behaviours and we just need to use our imagination to see how much pain and distress they cause. Some of them there... Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Simply put, if we refuse to forgive others, relationships break. If we place money ahead of people, we get surrounded by like-minded, shallow people. If we gossip, we make people suspicious and bitter. By concentrating on our own problems, we bring others down. If we are envious, we live in a world of longing rather than contentment. But sin has a far more pervasive effect on the world than we can limit to lists. We stuff up our own world, don't we? Through our sins, our thoughtlessness, wrong priorities, mistakes, misunderstandings. And even if we live righteous lives, our loved ones still die, our cars break down, we get unexpected costs that hurt, we have fears that can't be rationally explained. We do our best at work, but our boss still hates us, and sometimes our best at work isn't good enough. Who could claim to be a perfect parent, even though we love our kids so much? Then there are earthquakes, fires, floods, volcanoes. Our world is broken, and everything we experience is tainted. Now, we know that God created the world very good. But somehow the sin of Adam and Eve and every person since has fractured the world in unexplainable ways. We cannot even imagine what a perfect human being resembles. We cannot imagine a relationship with God whereby everything is aligned to his will. Can you imagine in your relationship with your husband or wife any form of perfection, that our wills would be completely aligned between husband and wife because our wills are completely aligned with God. We can't even imagine. But since the fall, there are metaphorical thistles in everything, a fracture of creation itself. Romans 8, 21 to 22 says, Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. 
So we see that even the world, the creation, is groaning, waiting for its deliverance from bondage to corruption. And what's the result of living in such a world for you and I? What's the result for all of humanity? Well, many things can follow. We can see the pattern in the book of Judges, for example, where everyone does what they think is best and what that leads to is just a wandering around in darkness. We can see a nation or we can see us as individuals collapse into more sin and more brokenness. And sometimes we see a great crying out to God and an earnest pursuit of righteousness. The people of God have always gone through these cycles. But one of the most profound effects of living in a sinful world is heartbreak. Many people are heartbroken. Every person suffers and for many it will result in heartbreak. What do I mean by that? Well, heartbreak is when a person is pervasively sad. Sometimes that means depression and anxiety, but it often is more like being paralysed in one area of your life or in all of your life. Past traumas are frequently recalled to mind. New traumas pile on top. Sometimes situations are heartbreaking because we haven't healed from our previous heartbreak. Life can compound. Heartbreaks oppress us and steal our joy and peace. The Greek word for heartbroken is suntribo, and it means bruised, broken to pieces, downtrodden, crushed completely, torn and shattered. Many people feel like that. Christians feel like that. I've felt like that. Some days I still feel like that. Not because of past injuries anymore, but because the world continues to be broken. And in turn, it can hurt and it can overwhelm me. An example. A couple of years ago, I was engaged in a police matter. One of my most important witnesses and closest friends, who I would bet my house on, I would bet the lives of my children on, told the police they were unavailable to help me because they were facing issues of their own. I received the news quite stoically at the time from the detective, but over time it crushed me. The blow changed my mood, it changed my outlook, it undermined my security. One of the pillars of my life had been torn down. It's probably a good thing, it was a false pillar. Being broken hearted can be quickly healed or it can remain far longer than is good for us. But before I go on, I just want to say what being broken hearted is not. Being broken hearted is not the same as being broken. I used to confuse the two. Well done. We see the posture in these two people. We see one prayerfully on their knees and we see the other one tucked into a corner. Being broken means to be yielded, humble, hopeful, reverent, forward-focused and healthy. Psalm 51.17 sums it up well. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. As against that, a person who is broken-hearted can be depressed, fearful and anxious, pervasively sorrowful, 
paralysed, backward-looking, and they can be accompanied by guilt, shame and bitterness. Psalm 6, 6-7, I love the honesty of scripture. The psalmist writes, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. Now most of you will know Pastor Drew. He's a friend of this church and he has led um, several short-term medical missions to places like Cambodia and and uh, Uganda and some of the folks here in the church have gone on those missions with him. Recently Drew wrote a book called The Beauty of Brokenness and it outlines really beautifully um, the way God uses those who are broken to themselves. He provides numerous examples of humiliation, pain, rejection and hurt leading to God working through someone mightily. Think of Moses spending 40 years in the wilderness before leading Israel to freedom from slavery. Jacob's indentured servitude to Laban before he was able to go home and be reunited to Esau. What about Joseph's abandonment by his brothers and jail time before he became the saviour of Egypt and Israel? King David's humiliation at the hands of his brothers and Saul's attempts to murder him before he became king. Then we read of the Apostle Paul being struck blind and then being healed by the same people who he previously wanted to persecute. We know what Paul went on to achieve. Drew's book is a really timely reminder in a world where I and me are the centre of thinking and our life plans. It's shameful, but we in the church even try to twist God's word to to make God our own personal genie, who we just need to rub him the right way and he'll give us all of our dreams. Drew's book reminds us that we are sinners. And it's not until we confront the reality of our sinful, fragile, rebellious nature that we become humble before him and obedient. Hence, it is beautiful to be broken. Now, it helps me when I'm thinking about being broken to think about a powerful, beautiful horse. It's a healthy animal. It's it's full of life. It has spirit. But because it has been broken in, it's glad to work with the person it trusts. It's not a wild animal anymore. It's a healthy animal yielded to the will of the rider and so being broken to God is healthy and makes us enjoy God as well as making us useful and ready to serve him but just by mentioning those uh, few examples from scripture of the traumatic events in our heroes lives we can see the immediate paradox the same events can lead to being broken and healthy before the Lord or broken-hearted and heavy-laden. God's will is that we would move on from crushed and shattered to yielded and hopeful. There's perhaps no better example of this than the funeral I went to on Friday. I'm going to relive it. But amidst the pain and the trauma, the good news of Jesus was clearly preached But even more importantly, the good news of Jesus was powerfully demonstrated. Pain, 
Yes. Vulnerability? Yes. Disappointment? Yes. But hope and joy and strength and abundance. Only God can do that. Over Christmas, when uh, I was teaching the kids out there, I was struck again by how exceedingly good the good news is. The angels declared the wonderful news of great joy for all the world, for a saviour is born. But I'm not going to go down the track and look at the theme of sin again and our need of a saviour. I'm going to stay on the topic of being broken-hearted and needing a saviour, being broken-hearted and needing a healer. What did Jesus say about himself? Well, in Luke 4, 16 to 21, we read, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and, and sat down. And all of the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus wants to heal us of our broken hearts. If we are honest with ourselves, we see the connection straight away between being brokenhearted, being poor, a captive, blind and oppressed. Our brokenheartedness makes us poor in spirit, captive to traumas, blind to our blessings and oppressed, robbing us of our hope for the future. For us, Jesus has very good news. In the passage we just read, which, which Jesus quoted from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 2-3, goes on to say that he, is, he will comfort all who mourn, exchange their ashes for beauty, replace their mourning with joy, and change their burden into praise, that we would know, be known as strong trees of righteousness planted by the Lord, that he may be glorified. We see that the healing of our broken heart gives glory and honour to him. He wants you to be an example of his loving kindness in this world so that the world would know that he is the living God. But let me be clear. Your heartbreak to me is like sacred ground. I'm not for one single second looking at a single person and asking the question, why aren't you healed yet? For me, that would be to both judge the depth of your pain and the work of God in your life. Matthew 5.4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We see in this simple statement, movement forward. Why are mourners blessed? Because they receive comforting from God. If we have been comforted by God, we see the distress and anxiety dissipate and peace and hope arrive. Your broken heart is seen and valued by God. And your broken heart is a place 
where he will work. The great missionary Elizabeth Elliot, who served as a missionary amongst the tribe that killed her own husband, said, the deepest things... Is it that? Yes. Said that the deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering and out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things I know about God. We worship the living God and he will actively work in your life if you want him to. For like the paralysed man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus had to ask him, do you want to be made well? It seems crazy, I have done it, maybe you have done it, but we hang on to our hurts and our pain. They can become part of our identity. In fact, there's a tremendous temptation in this day and age to embrace victimhood. It is true, if you identify as a victim, you will enjoy a and become part of a vibrant group of similar victims. But the truth is you will never heal while you are reveling in your victimhood. Do you want to be made well? So the inevitable question is, how does God heal? What do I need to do? And frustratingly, the answers explode in so many different directions. The way God heals is both entirely predictable and intensely personal. Let's look first at the predictable. God works predictably through his word. Well done. I'll read these very fast. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Philippians 3.13-14 Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 37 to 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. By his word we receive the good news. By his word we know that we have been purchased into a family-like relationship with God through Jesus dying on the cross for us. We know that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ and that the power of the resurrection is at work in us. We know that Jesus has conquered sin and death and we know that we are assured of a heavenly home with him. We know Jesus is coming back to judge the world and to take his children into glory. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. What the word of God tells us changes us. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
It has the ability to discern our hearts and it's able to speak to our needs in any season. It rebukes, encourages, exhorts, leads us into righteousness and equips us to do good works. God's word is alive. Next, God works predictably by his spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 17-18 Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8, 14 to 16. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God brings us freedom. And it brings us freedom from the entanglements of this world and from the power of sin. The Spirit of God is transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. The word transforming is in the perfect tense. It means that God has transformed us, is transforming us and will transform us. The Spirit of God that dwells in us gives us life abundant. The presence of the Spirit in our lives assures us that we are children of God. And the Spirit leads us away from fear and oppression. By the Spirit, we are able to cry out to God as to our dearest Father, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God powerfully fills us with hope, joy and peace. Finally, God works predictably through Christ's body, the church. He heals us through the body that we have here. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will overcome a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister to it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. James five thirteen to 16 Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The church is an active place of God healing us. The body of believers seeking righteousness together and expressing God's love that we have received from God himself. Individual righteousness leads to corporate health. The church expresses love towards God and each other by putting away evil talk, gossip, bitterness and anger. Brokenness before the Lord leads to forgiveness, unity and love. Love overcomes many sins. Love causes us to look after each other physically when we have needs. We use our spiritual gifts to minister to one another. Love amongst us points to the grace of God. It glorifies Jesus and it declares to the world that Jesus lives. The church is an active place of prayer, confession, forgiveness, crying, rejoicing and healing. God is working powerfully every day through his word, his spirit and his church. And I urge you to keep cultivating these things by reading his word, keeping in step with the spirit and meeting together with a body of believers. But these things are all very big picture. It might seem like I just uh, described the entire Christian life to you, which is true. So with that as a foundation... I've broken this down to the simplest three steps that I can think of for what you can do to be healed of a broken heart. I even made up an acronym. ACT, A-C-T. If you want to be healed of a broken heart, ACT. A stands for acknowledge. Come before God in prayer and acknowledge your pain. Be specific about the nature of your heartbreak. Lord, I'm hurting because. Lord, my pain is causing me to not thrive or to have the joy in my life that I could have. Lord, I think the reason this has hurt me so much is because. Being specific will really help you. God doesn't need you to be specific, but it will really help you. Because our pain often manifests itself as an overwhelming ache in our heart the proverbial wet blanket. And sometimes the injury or the nature of the original injury is lost in the overall ache. I have a personal example. Um, a couple of years ago, I woke up one morning with terrible pain in my face. And over the following couple of days, half of my face got sore and sore and sore until the pain became really excruciating. So I went off to see the doctor. The doctor said, I think it's a tumour. You've got a tumour in your face and it's in a particularly nasty spot. It, uh, it encroaches on a nerve and so it causes a lot of pain. It's really hard to get rid of. It's a real beast. So um, I'll book you in with the uh, neurologist. Okay. So before I left the doctor, I said... Do you have something for the pain? I'm in real pain. And so the doctor reached into his cupboard and pulled out a drug, a drug that specialises in nerve pain, one of those drugs that has about 48 pages of warnings on it on all the various ways it can kill you. But I was in pain, so I took it. 
I went home and I took it. And over the course of about 24 hours, the pain in my face started receding until it isolated on one tooth. One tooth. I took myself off to the dentist. The dentist x-rayed it and said, yep, great big crack right through the middle of the tooth. Nothing I can do about it except take it out. Fantastic. The general pain went to specific pain and in focusing on the specific pain and seeing the specific cause of my pain, the tooth, I could then take the right action. I could see a dentist instead of a doctor, instead of a neurologist. Wow. So identifying the cause of our pain is very important. Be honest about it with God. Acknowledge what it is. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6-7, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You can cast your cares upon the Lord because you know that he cares for you and he will impart his peace to you. It's a promise. Now, in specifically acknowledging your heartbreak, you may also realise two things. God has been faithful to heal you of previous heartbreaks. The heartbreak that I feel today is different to the heartbreak that I had earlier in my life. And then I realise that God healed me of my previous heartbreak and the heartbreak I have now is different. So it points to his faithfulness in the past and he will heal you in the future. And the second thing is that by specifically acknowledging our heartbreak, we may have drawn to mind our own failings and the things that might have led to the painful thing. At that time, we are reminded that God speaks to us by his spirit and through our conscience to convict us. Not that he wants to pile more pain upon us, but that we may repent and be restored. Being specific can illuminate our path towards specific actions. So acknowledge your heartbreak. That's A. Secondly, you can cry. Pour out your heart to God. Cry. We're just being honest with him about our pain. Psalm 61 verse 2 says, From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 69 verse 3, I am weary with my crying, my throat is dry, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. But then we see hope. Psalm 30 verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. Psalm 34, 17 to 18, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Tell him of your pain. Tell him of your disappointments and your hurt, the grief for the events that happened in your life. They cause you grief and they continue to cause you grief. Talk to him about it. Now, you might not be prone to actual tears. That's okay. 
The phrase cry out to God is, uh, is used many times in the Psalms just to indicate calling out loudly to God. But the psalmists are very honest, aren't they? We see in the Psalms exasperation, bewilderment and despair. We do not need to generate tears to convince God of our pain. But when our tears flow from our heart, God treasures them. Acknowledging and crying about our pain to God inevitably puts us in a place of waiting for his response. Psalm 30 verse 2 puts it as succinctly as possible, O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. But it's the promise of Psalm 34.18 that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. That phrase, that truth, transforms my entire understanding of suffering. My entire view of suffering changes. Exactly at the time when God may seem like he's a million miles away, God promises to be near. That truth just blows my brain. It's this assurance of God's presence with us that changes us. And when we are are assured of God's presence with us, we are able to say with Paul the Apostle, if God is with me, who can be against me? So what do we do after we acknowledge and we cry? We trust. Trusting in God is probably the most important thing that you will do in your entire life. I used to exchange the word with faith, but in doing so, I reduced the concept of trusting in God to only being about my salvation. But God is trustworthy for everything, everything, our future, our rescue, our healing, our provision. We can be perplexed and confused, but God remains completely steadfast, so we trust him. Another quote from Elizabeth Elliot. I have often asked myself why. Many things have happened which I didn't plan on and which human rationality could not explain. In the darkness of my perplexity and sorrow, I have heard him say quietly, trust me. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will praise him. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. Isaiah 26.3 You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. So after betrayal, imprisonment, false accusations and famine, Joseph was able to say in his later days, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In the midst of Israel's decline into idolatry, sin and judgment, Isaiah heard these words from God, Fear not, for I am with you. 
King David was able to rejoice in God and praise him because he trusted in him and he recognised that God was both with him and strengthening him, even if all of the creation was shaking around him. Isaiah declares back to God, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trusting in God gives us power to live and peace in a world of turmoil. It fills our hearts with hope and security when we are tempted to panic. Trust enables us to shelter under the wing of our creator. So when you are brokenhearted, act. Acknowledge, cry, trust. I started with a very provocative contrast between the baby born and the world that awaits. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Most certainly you and I will have trials and tribulations in this world, but be of good cheer. For Jesus has overcome the world. Trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we trust you because you are trustworthy. We trust you because you've demonstrated your love to us most clearly through your son Jesus who died for us and shed his blood for us. Father, we thank you that we are new creations in you. We thank you that we are new every morning that you are doing a work in us that we cannot begin to understand because your spirit is marvellous and wonderful. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you, you work through your church, through each other, to bless one another and to build each other up. We thank you for your constant faithfulness and goodness to us. And as we uh, fellowship together this morning, we just pray that you will move amongst us and help us to edify each other and build each other up. We pray, Lord, that our church here would be um, pivotal in providing healing to each other as we get over our broken hearts. Lord, may we worship to you with full hearts and praise you as you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.